All right, I'm saying this now. You have to know from the very deepest place in my heart. Good morning, Creekside. Um, I, it, yeah, hey. I just want to say I have had a delightful three months, and I have missed you guys like crazy. So I have, like, my, um, I've been hugging like crazy. If you want to know what Creekside smells like, just come smell my shirt. I have uh, this potpourri of all your perfumes uh, kind of just, like, right here right now, and it's amazing. I, um, so if I haven't met you yet, I'm Mark. I'm one of the pastors here, and I've been on the last uh, three months on a sabbatical, which was the, the biggest gift. So I just want to say to all of you guys, thank you so much for um, allowing that. Um, it was such a beautiful time uh, for me and my family. We, uh, uh, so Laura and I got to go uh, to Greece right at the beginning. It was, it was kind of like a second honeymoon for us. We stayed at a friend's house there. It was amazing. Um, with my daughters and Laura, we all got to go to Washington, D.C. and New York. Uh, we went to Sequoia National Forest. We went to Bodega Bay. So like, we've just been kind of everywhere, and it has been this amazing, amazing gift. Like, I just feel so much gratitude for um, the ability to, to be, like, uh, man, this, I don't know how to say it, not bad. Um, not to be away from you, but to just have time to kind of just uh, sit with the Lord and be with the family. It was, it was a, a huge blessing. The entire time, I was super homesick for all of you guys, and I'm so thankful to just be back. So, first of all, I want to say, like, how good were the elders uh, at preaching and caring for you guys all this out? I mean... Unreal. Unreal. I had, I think I told you guys, but my, my pastor friends were like, oh, you don't want to have the elders uh, speak, and I can't wait to see them and just be like, you guys are so wrong, or like, get better elders, you know? Like, ours, ours were fantastic. Um, and just like, also, Nathan was just incredible, at, like, carrying the whole thing forward and teaching and leading the team and everything. So I'm just, I just, I came back with a, a profound sense of gratitude, and my first day, like, in the office was on Tuesday. I got here like super early, a couple hours before anyone else got here and just cried all over the place, you know, just went into all the rooms and just like, just so thankful for what God has done and watching the, the sermons and the services and everything. Um, it just, it just feels like this huge gift. So I'm coming back to you. Ne next week, we're going to, um, we're going to start a sermon series on the gospel of Mark. And I'm super excited that we're going to spend a year with Jesus, just walking through um, a gospel, and I just cannot wait for that. That's like our, as a church, that's like our bread and butter. That's our heart is to just walk through scripture uh, verse at a time and just let, let the Lord speak to us through that. Um, this morning coming back, I, I wanted to just kind of share uh, something that I've learned on sabbatical. And um, so I'm coming back to you guys, not with like, um, not with a sense of like, here's how Creekside's broken and I've realized it and here's what we're going to fix. I, I'm coming back almost like, you, you know when you, um, you know when you walk into a room and you, you can't remember like why you walked into there? You're like, oh, what is this? Like that's, uh, you young people have no idea what I'm talking about. But the time will come when you just show up somewhere and you're like, what was I doing here? Um, I, feel like, I feel like I've remembered something over the last few months. And I feel like I'm coming back here and being like, that, no, that's right. That's, that's why we walked in here together, you know? And so that's what I want to share. Um, it's all about Jesus, okay? So there's spoiler. Like, I, I met Jesus over the last few weeks. I, I feel like that's what you want your pastor to say, or maybe not. I don't know. But um, I just got to spend over the last few months this time with Jesus. And uh, I want to share, this is not me rubbing anything in um, or anything like that, but this is a view of the Aegean Sea off of one of the Greek isles that was my, like, my view for a few weeks. This is outside of my friend's place, and I just got to sit on this balcony 
with that view, and let me tell you, it was way cooler than that picture makes it look, and, um, and just got to spend time with the Lord. So I was reading, I was praying, um, Laura and I were talking, and it was just like, every time I look at that, I'm like, oh man, the Lord met me there in the most powerful way. It was just this tangible, like, Lord, you're here. Lord, you care for me. My, um, my, my goal with the sabbatical was I want to focus on being a sheep and not on being a shepherd. And, um, and it was just beautiful. The Lord was so good. And that, that place, man, God was there. It was incredible. Um, another point in the sabbatical, got this, those are my feet, um, got to sit there. Out, this is outside of Sequoia National Forest, and there's this river that was just rushing through. And we were on vacation, but I was getting up like early. Get it down. I want to get down to the river by 6 a.m. because I want to be able to spend just an hour there because God's like there waiting for me. It's kind of how I felt. And um, get up before the kids. Like my kids are great to be with, but you never know with the nieces and nephews. So just get down there before everyone's awake and before everything goes crazy and just spend. So man, there's a spot that God is there and he's waiting and it was just beautiful. The third spot is a little more, um, a little more complicated for me. This is my, a a part of my backyard and, um, and here in this backyard, like this is where I like gutted it out with the Lord a little more. So I spent a whole lot more time here than the other places. And I, I didn't have the moments where it's like, um, show up, open your Bible, start praying. And just like, God's like, I'm here, I'm here. It was like, I put in the work right here. Uh, it was day in, day out, and I would sit there, and I would read, and I would pray. I had a whole beautiful routine, and I don't know that I felt God that strongly on any given uh, morning out there, but as I've looked back over the whole thing, like, I can tear up. Every time I walk into my backyard now, I'm like, man, Lord, you were, you were here. For that three months, like, the Lord was just there and with me, and it was less strong, and it was less emotional, but he was there, and I, I guess all I'm trying to say is, like, um, coming back from this, I feel like I'm remembering again what it's all about. And it's simply this. Um, this is all about Jesus. And, and, like, and like we are, are all about Jesus. And what he wants us to do as a church family, there's so many things we could do. I, got, I had the privilege of visiting a whole lot of churches while I was out too, and that was incredible. I, like, we have amazing churches in this region. I was so blessed to get to worship with everybody. And, and I'll tell you, like, some of them were super cool. Some of them were super weird. Um, and, uh, and like, if, if the perfume wasn't covering it, I still probably smell like the incense in some of those places. Like, it was just really um, a good experience. But um, all of it makes me think, okay, what are, we, what are we trying to do as a church? Like, why, like, what is this even for? Why are we here? And I feel like the Lord was so good. I have this, this clarity and this conviction. And the whole thing is this. It's, it's got to be about Jesus or it's about nothing. Like, we are wasting our time if it's not about Jesus. And I, of course, right, you're at church. You walked into a church building where it says Jesus saves as you walk in, of course. Um, but I feel like I just remembered that again. And I want to walk through uh, this morning, Philippians chapter 3. So if you have your Bible, open to Philippians 3. Uh, I will put it on the screen as well. Um, and, and what we're going to do is just look at, like, I think Paul has this realization of, like, it's all about Jesus, and he walks through. So we're going to start here with Paul, and, and this is Paul, I think, describing himself as the Awana champion, okay? So if you don't know what Awana, Awana is, it's like Boy Scouts, but, like, the coolest person in the room is the person that's memorized the most Bible verses, okay? If you've ever gone through Awana. It's like the whole thing is set up where you, like, play the specific kind of games, and you memorize scripture, and you talk about Jesus. And so it's the, the, the best kids in the church when I was growing up were the kids that were the Awana champions. It was like that kid is, uh, is going to be, you know, I guess a pastor or something. Um, and, uh, and that was like all we ever wanted was to be um, a good Christian in that sense. So here's Paul, and he's going to explain. I'm going to skip a couple verses and come back to them. But here's Paul explaining like who he is as a, as a religious person, person. So he says, 
I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. He says, if anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness under the law, blameless. So Paul's laying this out, and he's saying, let me, let me just kind of tell you um, who I am. There's people that, that have confidence, um, in like external confidence about who they are religiously, and he's like, let me just show you, like, I have got this together. So he says, I am circumcised on the eighth day. That's like, that's how you knew someone was part of the nation of Israel, of God's people, is they'd be circumcised. And he came uh, with the right tradition, with the right family heritage, because they knew on the eighth day after he's born, we're going to circumcise him. And Paul's like, from the time I was born, I had this together, this spiritual heritage. I'm of the people of Israel. This is the group of people that God's working in. So I belong to the right group of people to be close to God. Um, Not only that, but he's from the tribe of Benjamin, which Benjamin, like, prestigious. He, he, Benjamin, like Joseph was the favorite son, but then his brothers really messed up and sold him into slavery. That's really crazy. And then Benjamin was the new favorite, the young one. So the, the fact that Paul even knows what tribe he's from at this point in the Israel's history shows like he's got his stuff together. Um, but he's like, yeah, I'm from this prestigious tribe within that favored group of Israel. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. No one was more of a Jew than I was. And so he's just saying like, I've, I've, like everything checks out on my resume. And then he's talking about the law. And you've got to know, for Israel at this time, um, the law of God was always important for Israel. So God delivered this law. Moses came down with the Ten Commandments. There was a lot more said about this is the law that defines us, that shapes us as God's people. So keeping the law was the way to show I am in uh, the right ways of walking and following this God. But at this time especially, Israel was eventually taken into exile. Uh, They were taken out of their kingdom. The temple was destroyed. And so who are you? If you're God's people, you're supposed to be making sacrifices and you're supposed to be doing these ritual things together. Who are you as God's people if you don't have a temple and a place to make sacrifices? Well, in the 400 years between when that, they were taken to exile and, and when Jesus came, in the meantime, uh, they started synagogues. And that's where they would gather. And the whole point was, we're going to read the Torah. We're going to read the law of God. And the law of God became their way to prove that they were still had this identity of who we were as God's people. We're going to follow this law. We're going to listen to it. We're going to study it. Eventually, a temple is rebuilt, but this still was an important thing. And so Paul says, um, he says, as to the law, at the end of verse 5, as to the law, I was a, I was a Pharisee. The, Pharisee was the, gr- the Pharisees were the group in there um, that were the most serious about the law. They're like, we will be the good people of Israel by how strictly we observe the law of God. So Paul's like, nobody kept the law better than I was because I was a part of this strict group of Pharisees. Not only that, but like as to zeal, he says, I was a persecutor of the church. So how do you prove that you're really serious about keeping the law of God? Well, you look at all these other people that are not following the law of God in the way that you should, and you say, they're the enemy, and I'm going to oppose them. I'm going to fight against them. Like that's how you show that you're really serious about this whole thing. So he was fighting against persecuting the church, which was not taking the law as seriously as he thought they needed to. He was blameless uh, in his external religion. So for Paul, everything he's describing here is his family heritage, his identity, his external keeping of the law and the things that matter. So all of this is Paul basically saying, hey, if you look from the outside, I'm the Awana champion. If you look from the outside, I've got it together. I'm the good Christian person. 
And I'll just say like outward religious stuff, even though it seems strict, even though it seems hard to follow all the rules and everything, I'll just say external religious observance is by far the easiest thing to control because you can control it. It's shaped by your image. Uh, nobody sees down in your heart. Nobody knows what's going on deeper down. So you keep the external things looking good and, and that's where you move forward. Now, as an American society, um, we're kind of on the heels of like generation after generation and year after year, maybe centuries even, where um, there was such a thing as being a good Christian person and that meant something. Like you, you were better in society in America if you were a good Christian man or woman, right? I think those days are like mostly gone, okay? Maybe we still have preserved a few circles where that's uh, considered a good thing, but mostly gone. Um, but we the externals have always kind of mattered so much in our society. I, I can remember, like, when I was a kid growing up, um, my parents, like, were, they're still part of this little country church, and it was beautiful, and, um, and it was like um, my dad would lead the singing. My mom, we would sit in the front row on the right side when my mom played the piano, and the front row on the left side when my mom played the organ on a Sunday, okay? So it was like we were just there, and my dad was singing, and um, and the bad kids, okay, I, I shouldn't, they weren't bad kids. They were the kids of the bad parents, okay, um, <clears throat> would let them sit in the balcony, okay? Like, so you sit in the balcony, your parents obviously don't care at all how you're behaving in church. And so the balcony was just like uh, a, a you know, handful of kids that just like would talk or whatever. And those kids in the balcony were the cool kids and they did not sing, okay? So every now and then, I don't know how we managed it, but every now and then we got to sit in the balcony with the bad kids. And, um, and so you're up there and these kids are cool and they're, you know, they're cool because they don't sing. So I know when you're up there in the balcony, um, like I can't, I can't sing or he's going to think I'm a dork. Um, but also when my dad is, his gaze is going around like searchlights in a prison or something, you know, when he's looking, I've, my lips have to be in motion. He can't hear if I'm, but I, you know, it, it's, it's the whole external religious thing of like, I can't afford to have my dad think that I'm not um, singing during these songs. The, 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 um, the visuals of the religious life, like there wasn't anything going on in my heart in particular, um, but I knew I had to keep the visuals up. And I just, I have this sense of like, that's, that's even though society has changed, even though it's not as cool to be a good Christian person, I feel like there's still that sense of like, what, what's kept us here for so long? Why, why, are we, why are we part of this thing? Why do we do what we do as a church family? Like so much of it is um, we, we know what's important and we kind of just keep the visual, external things in place. And if we could even take it a little bit deeper, um, it may be that you're fighting with yourself to keep it real, right? Like why, why are you still engaged? Why are you doing the things you're doing? It's because you're afraid that you're gonna lose it for yourself. And so keep the externals in place. It might be that you're doing it for a spouse or a family member or a parent or something like that where it's becoming more and more dead for you, but you're doing it because you're afraid of what will happen to them if you let go of it yourself or are perceived to be. And so there's this whole um, external world that matters to us for different reasons. Um, and, and look, I'm going to say this. They, everything about this church is so beautiful. I mean, being, being away from you guys for three months was like actually really hard for me. And I had this like profound sense of homesickness the whole time. And I'm like, I love these people. I love what we do. I meet God here when we worship. So I've been longing for it. But I, I, it's like I remembered while I was gone. Oh, but yes, but it has to be about this. And here's what Paul says it's about. Only about Jesus. Verse seven, he says, but whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So here's Paul. And, and he's, like, he's like, so he's actually using um, accounting terminology here, like ancient accounting um, terminology where he's, he's crediting it as profit or loss, okay? So he sets up these categories, and there's a loss and there's a gain, okay? And so he's, he's giving us in the gain column all these things he's listed, being circumcised, being of the people of Israel, being of the tribe of Benjamin, being uh, zealous for the law. Those, like, that's his gain. Like, this is what shows, like, things are going well because of these things. And you, you can assume then the, in the loss category is things like, being an outsider, being uncircumcised, not being from a prestigious tribe, those being apathetic about the law and your faith. This is how Paul was living his life. But then he has this encounter with Jesus. And this encounter with Jesus shows him, like, okay, my categories need to change. And so now it changes so that all the things that were gain, he now considers loss. Like, what's the difference between being Jew or Gentile or circumcised or not? Like, what's the difference between the lawkeeper or not? Like, all of that, whether you have it or you don't, all of it just goes in this loss category because the only thing that could ever possibly belong in the gain category is Jesus Christ. That's how profound Paul's encounter with Jesus was, was saying, okay, I don't, I don't care what else I ever experienced in my life. Nothing, nothing could ever be spoken in the same breath as valuable in any sense aside from knowing Jesus. That's how Paul is turning this whole thing around. And I'll tell you, like, we could add plenty of things um, to this chart, right? So we could talk about our worship songs. We could talk about um, the sermons that we hear. We could talk about the Bible studies we do, the ways that we gather. And I'm saying add anything that any church has ever done extremely well to this chart. Where does it belong? The only place it could possibly go is in the red. It's in the lost. Paul's just saying all of it, every single bit of it goes in the lost column. The only thing that goes in the gain column is Jesus. Which means to me that all the things that we do, the singing, the gathering, the greeting, the um, connecting, the Bible studies, all of it is valuable if and only if it helps us connect to Jesus more. Like I love singing with you guys because it helps me to connect with Jesus more and we're inviting, we're, we're together saying Jesus matters. That's why we sing. We don't sing because churches sing. We don't sing because that's what you're supposed to do to be a good Christian. We sing because Jesus is real. And even when we don't feel it all the way, we're here to remind ourselves that that's the case. That's the whole point of preaching. That's the whole point of our fellowship. That's the whole point of anything is that like together the whole thing, the only thing that could ever possibly matter is knowing Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. Everything else. And, and look, it's not, it's, not, um, it's not knowledge about God. It's not the kind of knowledge that you could gain if I stood here week by week and just explained God to you. It's not that kind of knowledge that you understand it or it's explained. It's the kind of knowledge that comes through experience. You're spending time with somebody, right? I could, I could tell you all about somebody else, but until you've spent time with that person, you don't know that person. That is what Paul is talking about. So everywhere I've gone church-wise, I mean, I've seen, like, again, like I said, like weird things and cool things. And there's churches where I'm like, I could probably do this one. And there's churches where I'm like, I don't think I could do that one. But regardless of all of it, everything I saw anywhere, I, I'm, I'm stepping away from, I'm like, there's so many good things. Like churches where it feels like the whole point is we're going to get energetic and we're going to like have this emotional experience of God. That's beautiful. I love that. Churches where it's like, man, we're going we're gonna to really explain God to you. You need to know this theology. That's good. That's beautiful. I love that. Churches where it felt like the whole point was like, we're going to do things the way that like two centuries, th you know, two millennia ago, we've always done it the same way ever since. That's beautiful. It's weirder to me, but it's beautiful nonetheless. And in any of these settings, right, it's like, um, it's like, oh, that's so good. That's, but I came back and I'm just like, 
first of all, I missed you guys as human beings. And, and um, if you're new to the church, some of you have been around for a while and I don't know you, which kills me. I cannot wait to meet you. Please uh, fill up my, my relationally empty heart and um, introduce yourself. I want to know you. Um, but I came back like, I want to be with these people. And I, the only thing I'm interested in is we need to be a church that is finding life in Jesus together. That, that's our mission statement. And I came back like fired up like never before of like, that's it. We nailed it. That's it. That we, we're going to find life in Jesus together. And everything else that we do is good if and only if it helps us to find life in Jesus together. And to whatever extent it does that, that's what I want. And so Paul is here saying like, man, I suffered the loss of all of it. Now, wh- what did he lose? Like, presumably Paul was still circumcised. I don't think you reverse that. I don't, I don't know. I don't think that works. He was still from the tribe of Benjamin, all these things, but he's saying, I lost all those things. I, I think it just means he released his grip on it. Like, it's still there, but like, this is not the thing that I care about. This is not the thing that defines me. This is not what makes me who I am. Um, I suffered the loss of all of it so that I could gain Christ. And, and look, at, look at what he says in verse 8. Um, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I mean, that's incredible, the surpassing worth of knowing him. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. He counts them as rubbish. Now, rubbish is the most weakly translated word in the entire Bible, I'm certain, okay? So what, is it, what does it actually mean? At the very least, you've got to connect it to the idea of excrement, okay? So I've, I've done like a lot of word study on this kind of thing, and, and it's, it's a rubbish makes you think of like, um, I don't know, some pieces of paper that you got a false start on and you crumpled it up. That's, let's put this in the rubbish bin. You know, it's like, that's what British people say, I imagine. And um, it's, it's fine, but it's like, eh. But like, no, this is at the very least, this is excrement, okay? This is dung, this is poop, this is whatever it is. I found one commentator that was willing to go so far as to say this word means crap, okay? And, uh, and my grandpa would be so furious that I just said that in church. Um, but I'm telling you, Paul's saying that and more, I think. Um, so he, like, what the, what the commentaries, what the word studies, what the lexicons say, this word is a vulgar term, okay? So think about this. It's a vulgar term talking about human excrement, okay? I think crap does the trick, but I think Paul probably means even more vulgar than that. So if you can think in your head of a word that's more vulgar, I know enough about social media to know I shouldn't say it to you guys out loud, but if you're thinking one in your head, it's probably the worst one you can imagine, okay? The word can also be used for like rotting corpses, okay? So like this is a foul word. So think, think of a time in your life where you were like, you had to reach in somewhere or whatever, and you ended up like touching something that just like gives off that horrified response, right? There was a, there was a time in my life I almost accidentally grabbed a dead skunk, and when I realized what I had done, it was like, oh, gross, you know? Um, having kids, it's like the, the amount of vomit that I've had to touch, like the, and the, the gag response to that is like Paul's saying, Everything else compared to Jesus invoked the gag response for me of like, of like the horrified feeling you get when it's like, um, oh my goodness, I cannot believe I almost just touched that and you do the, the awkward dance. Like Paul's saying, my church life, my spiritual heritage, all the good things I did, it's like, oh, gross, because knowing Jesus, right? The things aren't bad in themselves, but when you compare it to what it is to actually know Jesus, all the former accolades he had, man, those things gross me out comparatively. So the question for us, the, the, the big thing that I want us to ask for the rest of our lives is this, are we cultivating a sense of, of knowledge of Jesus, cultivating that so that it's growing all the time, a knowledge of Jesus in such a way that everything else invokes that horrified response by comparison. So you picture yourself, and you're sitting at, a, at your favorite coffee shop, and you're reading a great book, and you're sipping a latte right through that beautiful foam art, and you kind of smile because, like, the world is good. Like, could that feel like you're about to barf compared to 
Jesus and how good it is to know him, right? Or you're, you, you do that golf swing, and this was the one that actually felt right. You connected with the ball. It went somewhere kind of in line with where you wanted it to go. Like that, that sense of satisfaction you get, could that feel like um, you were being grossed out compared to how amazing it is to be with Jesus? Now, it is not all about your feelings, okay? So I just want to say that, and I know that there are many of us here that's like, I would love to feel close to Jesus. I would love to feel like he's here. I would love to be able to be like, yes, the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. I know exactly what that is. I know exactly how that feels. And, and I, you guys gave me the gift over the last three months of remembering what that's like. Like just, man, just God met me in a way that I, I don't think I need all the time. I don't think I need him to be like emotionally there with me all the time. But he gave me the gift of being there um, for me and with me in a way that I I believe is going to keep shaping my imagination. And I'm, I'm like coming back being like, guys, it's real. Like, I, I don't think I had quite forgotten, but maybe, maybe we could get on track to forgetting, guys, it's real. He's real. He's here. He wants us. He loves us. I've been um, reconnected to all those things. Um, but even if you don't feel it, and, and maybe, you're, maybe you're like at a point of like, okay, Lord, I, I, I believe that you're real. I believe that you're good. I believe that knowing you matters more than anything else. You might be on a, on a track where it's years until you actually feel that way again. I think the point of what I'm trying to say is whether we feel it or not, he's valuable. Whether we, whether we like really, um, whether, whether there's doubts existing in our mind or not, like knowing him is better than knowing anything else. And I, and I want us to be the, uh, the group of people that is cultivating a life directed that way of saying, no, it matters. It doesn't matter if I feel it or not. I, I know that he matters. I know that he's real. And that is the direction that I'm heading in. It's, it's difficult to do it. And I, I, the gift that you guys gave me over the last three months was the, the ability to just like sit, you know, like just sit. I mean, I, I spent hours every day like praying, reading, like it was beautiful. And so the gift was um, just being able to keep my rear end in a seat and just continue to s- sit there with Jesus. And um, I think the key is like, you've got to just keep putting in the work, even when it feels like it's not working, you know? Like, like patience, like spirituality is about um, patience. It's not something that we get done. It's not something that we check off. Like it's something that we sit with and we continue to pursue. And so, um, so on that front, like when it's hard, right? Like let's just sit with it. Let's give him time. Like he's there. J- Jesus right now, literally he's right here with us. And there's people sitting kind of close to you, but Jesus is even closer than that. He's available. He's ready. He loves you. He wants to be with you. So all of these things are like real and true and like he is there, but at the same time, right, it's just saying, okay, Lord, I believe you're here. I believe you're real. I'm pursuing you. And so much of what it means to me to be Creekside Church is that we are trying to find life in Jesus together. Like the together matters a ton. The side-by-side matters a ton because we remind each other. We help each other. We invest in each other's spiritual life in a way where we're all saying like, just like Paul says, like all of it is rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Like gaining Christ, that's it. That's all I want. I want to know him. I want to be connected to him. Now, here's how Paul describes what it is to know Jesus. So he says that I may gain Christ, the end of verse eight, and I want to be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So Paul's saying like, like, I want to gain Christ. I want to be found in him. I, it's not my righteousness. So he's saying like, I, I, I'm done with like the externals of like, uh, trying to show everybody like that this means something to me or trying to prove anything to everybody or that I really belong. 
Um, but he's saying, I want to just be connected to Jesus. And when I'm connected to Jesus, then I'm connected to the righteousness of God, that the faithfulness of God to his people, like I can connect to all that. And he says, um, I want to know him, and I want to know the power of his resurrection. Paul will later say in Romans 8 um, that the, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us. Like there's something about us being connected to God that like he's like, I'm working in you. My spirit is there. So there's this power, immense power. When we feel weak, there's this immense power that's available to us. Um, but also, he says, I want to know him so badly that I even want to share in his sufferings. Like, like Jesus, Jesus was, um, in Philippians 2, he had just talked about, he's God himself, who was in heaven with God. Everything's perfect. Everything's great. He's ruling over all. But he humbled himself, and he became a man just like one of us. And he lived amongst us. And he was suffered. He was misunderstood. He was accused. He was mistreated. He was beaten. Ultimately, he was crucified. And in his death, he died to forgive us of our sins, to give us life in his death and his resurrection once again. And so Jesus knows what suffering is. Jesus knows what it is to be misunderstood. He, he didn't care who understood him or not. He was, um, he was eating with tax collectors, with sinners, with outcasts, with prostitutes. He was accused of being a drunk and being um, uh, sexually permissive just because of who he hung out with. But Jesus did not care about the external. He's like, this is who I am. And so he suffered because people misunderstood him. Paul's saying like, I want to know him any way that I can. And that's the power of his resurrection. It's even like sharing in his sufferings. When we experience suffering, you, you know that friend that you have, the friend that's like gone through, you know, the loss of a parent, the loss of a child, um, the friend who's like gone through cancer or something. And it's like, you're there for them. You understand them, you get them. But then when you experience a similar suffering, you lose a parent, you lose a child, you go through cancer, you see, oh, I understand now some of what you went through. And there's this deeper connection that we forge with those people that have suffered in the same ways that we're suffering. I think Paul's saying like, and when we suffer, there's this opportunity to say, like, Jesus, you went through that too. And I, I can see what that's like. And there's this connection that comes, these ways that he's able to meet us in those sufferings. And so all of this, I think people, um, we, we get this invitation to just see he's good. He's the best. He's better than everything else. And I, I, we, we get reminders from different angles. I think, I think it's a, the ability to say, literally, Jesus, whatever brings me closer to you, I'm happy with in the end. It's a crazy statement to make, but um, many of you know, I know through talking to many of you that you've gone through really hard things and you're like, you know what? It's hard for me to be sad that this happened in my life, this hard thing happened in my life because it brought me closer to Jesus. And, and that's what it's all about. I'm going to end this by looking at the first couple of verses. This is Paul's warning. Before he says all this, here's the warning he says. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Here he's talking about um, these good Jewish people that were like himself, that had their confidence in the flesh. And these were people, he's turning their terminology against them. They were people that looked at the non-Jews, at the Gentiles, and like, they're dogs. You know, like they don't belong. They're outcasts. They're just dogs. And Paul's looking at them and saying, you, look out for these dogs. Like, they're the dogs. Um, dogs in that day, by the way, are not the cute, cuddly version that we had. They were like nuisances and whatever. They're kind of like the cats of um, today. Was more. The, I, don't, I don't know why I, I, don't know why I said that. Um, sorry. Um, look out for the dogs, he says. Um, look out for the evildoers. They, they were so concerned about doing right, doing good, being righteous. And Paul turns on them and says, in their insistence that you've got to do the right thing, that you've got to do good, otherwise you don't belong, he's saying, in doing that, they are actual evildoers, right? They, so he's saying, look out for them. Um, look out for the mutilators of the flesh. Like, like he's, he's looking at them, and, and pagans would like cut themselves, hurt themselves to make God pay attention to them. And he's saying, 
when you do circumcision as a way to prove that you're one of God's people, he's like, you're just mutilating your flesh. It's no better than any of that. So Paul's like, look out for them. And, and, and when he says look out, he's saying, it's not just that like the way of Jesus is better. Like, yes, the, the religious life is a good life, but there's an even better one in Jesus. He's saying, no, like the religious life is dangerous. Look out for them. Beware of them. This is where it leads. It's not healthy. Who are we instead? In verse three, he says, we are the circumcision. We're the true circumcision. It looks like this. We worship by the spirit of God. We glory in Christ Jesus and we put no confidence in the flesh. That's, that's who we are. That's who we have to be. People that worship in the spirit of God, it's not an external thing we do. It's from our heart and we, we feel it or we don't, but we're here to say, Lord, Lord, from the depths of me, I want to connect to the depths of you. Like that is the key of the whole thing. We worship God in spirit. Um, he says we glory in Jesus Christ. It's not about who I am. It's like, Jesus, I, I want everything uh, about you and I want to glorify you. I want to praise you. And finally, he says, we put no confidence in the flesh. We don't, we, we don't care about our accolades. We don't care about accomplishments. We don't care how we look to anybody else. The confidence isn't there. The confidence is in who Jesus is. Like that is, is and has to be what it's all about. And so in all this, what, like, what do we do? I, I, I just want to re-invite us to um, a journey, a path, Okay. So uh, Eugene Peterson talks a lot. He has this concept of a long obedience in the same direction. It's, he stole it from Friedrich Nietzsche and made it uh, be a good, a good idea. But it's a long obedience in the same direction. Uh, healthy spirituality is not something we accomplish. It's not something that we achieve. You, you're not going to get to a point where you're like, I have a healthy spirituality. No, actually, it's a path. It's a journey. It's a direction that we're headed in because our healthy spirituality is the, the long obedience that we're on. It's not something we get done with and say, yes, I'm, it's like, it's a movement. It's where we're headed in our lives and it takes your entire life to get there. What do we do? How do we cultivate it? Well, I have, um, I have this crepe myrtle tree in my backyard. I showed you part of my backyard. On the other side, there's this, this is tree and it's doing okay now, but it was, um, it's a crepe myrtle tree that we've had for a bit and it got like these aphids and this, this leaf fungus on it and I didn't notice it soon enough. It gets kind of weepy when they're on there. I didn't notice it soon enough and I sprayed it when I figured it out, but that poor tree, it kind of just, you know, like withered a bit. Like it didn't die. It's okay. It's coming back. But this year, like I don't have any blooms on it yet, you know, and so... <clears throat> As I look at that tree, it's like, yeah, if, I, if I'd been keeping a better eye on it, if I'd been watching it and, and better cared for its conditions for growth and flourishing, I could have, like, helped it grow a little faster, a little better, a little healthier. And I think that's, like, the same thing for our spiritual life. I feel like that's what I was able to do over the last few months is be like, okay, like, what, what can I prune? What can I clear away? Where's, what, what are the spiritual aphids and fungus, whatever that is, but just keeping an eye on our spiritual life and saying, okay, Lord, uh, growth is a lifelong thing. We continue to grow until we die. We don't arrive. We don't achieve until Jesus comes back and fixes it all for us. But I need to keep an eye on what's hindering my growth. I need to care enough about the fact that like Jesus is real and he's the purpose and the heart of it all. I need to have my eye on that. And so the question is like, do you want to grow? Uh, growth is not about becoming a better person. Growth is about having a deeper connection to Jesus. And so let's do it. Like, let's, let's remember that in everything we do, as we walk through the life of Jesus over this next year, like, let's remember that's the point. He is the point. Let's connect ourselves to him. Let's, let's pray more fervently. It doesn't mean that we're going to feel it all the time. I would love it if we did, but it doesn't mean that. It just means, man, he, he is the direction. He is the source. He is the one that's here with us. The invitation is here for us to respond and um, that's what I want for us. Like, I want this to be the kind of thing where um, 
you know, we, we're, we're starting up Nurture uh, again in the fall here. Nurture is for the, the women in our church. It's this great way to, like, connect and hear the word of God and, and, and worship together. Like, uh, Thursday morning, the women meet as a hub, but then in the evenings, there's, there's more things. Um, and I want us to enter into things like that, um, not because Bible studies are healthy for us, but because we meet Jesus and we're there, and it's a way to invest in and nourish our spiritual life. We're starting, um, we've got men's um, gatherings happening monthly. We're going to start some men's groups, some discipleship groups, where we're studying the Bible together, challenging. I want us to do that, not because that's what men should do, but because in that space, we can meet Jesus. We can challenge each other. We can grow. Um, That's what our gospel communities, our discipleship groups, these are all about those kinds of things. We are all about, as 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 a church, finding life in Jesus together and inviting others to do the same. And that is, that is the kind of slow investment in the entire thing. So, how, how will we end this this morning? <clears throat> you can see my, my voice. My voice is still in sabbatical conditioning. Um, <clears throat> I've been very quiet, I guess, for the last few months. We're going to end by um, taking communion together. And this is the best way we could possibly end because um, here it is. What's it about? Is it about learning more about Jesus? Not really. Like learning about Jesus so that we can know Jesus. That's what matters. But Jesus, when he left, he didn't point to, hey, Pay attention to my body of teaching. Hey, um, pay attention to this way. Like Jesus, when he left, he gave his disciples communion, which is a way of saying, he says, this is my uh, body. This is my blood. He basically gave himself to us as his church and said, I want you, as you gather, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. And so the communion is this way that we don't just remember his teaching. We don't just remember his way of life. We don't just remember things about him, but we come and we say, yeah, that's right. He is the one that matters. He laid down his life for us. He gave himself in love for us. And in this, in this really mysterious way, you know, Jesus holds the bread. He says, this is my body and it's broken for you. He takes the cup. He says, this is my blood and it's shed for you. Like when we do this, Jesus didn't want us just to think about them. He actually wanted us to eat and drink these things because it's like, get it down inside of you. Like get it down deep inside. To remember who I am and, and just re- recognize that like, I want to be in you. I want to be part of you. I'm here for you. And so, We celebrate this, this remembrance of the body and the blood of Jesus, and we say deep down. So what I want to invite you to is is a couple of things. One is I just, man, you're my family, and let's remember together the fact that Jesus is what it's all about and who we're all about and our goal and our source and everything. If you're here this morning and you're like, man, you know what, I have... um, I have kind of gotten caught up in the externals. I have been kind of apathetic with this, and I want to just get back to clinging to this. I want to make communion this morning the act in which you're saying, yes, this matters to me, and this is my statement of why. You're coming up to the table, you're, you're drinking the cup, you're eating the bread, and you're saying, this matters to me, and I'm reminded of that. Whether you feel it or not, this is what I want. It's for us to make that statement by taking this together. And then for the person here that's like, You've been around Jesus, you've been around church, maybe, maybe not, but like this is, this is new. You haven't really been able to kind of take that step and put yourself out there and really, um, and really say like, this is for me. Like this is not just what my friends or family or the people around me do, but like this is for me. Like maybe you've never had that acknowledgement. And I would just say, if that's you and you're ready and there's that nudging of saying, yes, Jesus is what matters most to me, Um, then I would say, make this taking of communion your statement to Jesus of, you matter to me. Like, I am eating this bread. I am drinking this cup. This matters to me. And so wherever you're at, if if, if that's you and this is the first time, I want to, I would love to know, like, uh, talk to me afterwards, uh, call me, email me, like any of those things. I'd love to know. Um, But this is our act. This is our way of saying this matters.